Hello everybody and welcome back to the Dragon's Library. So today we are finally reviewing Vampire the Masquerade Swan Song. Now I started this like three weeks ago I believe, three or four, and it's came my radar because I had heard about it uh, being in the same franchise as Vampire the Masquerade's Bloodlines, one of the best games probably ever made. So this is made by Big Bag Wolf. Uh, they're the developers. I played it on the Epic Store. The only other title from that developer is an episodic adventure game from 2008 called The Council. Haven't played it. Looks similar to this, actually, but set in a different world. But that's just from what I've seen. I also don't really do a whole lot of episodic gaming in general. So those of you who are familiar with The Council, if you liked it, you might like this, too. It's by the same developer. Also, the guy of credit, I love the name for the developer, especially when they're doing a World of Darkness. For those of you unfamiliar with The Vampire the Masquerade as a franchise, it is one of the tabletop games set in the World of Darkness universe. Essentially, horror monsters plus urban fantasy and focus on political machinations of a secret society of vampires who now hide among humanity. This global conspiracy, designed to keep modern humans ignorant of vampire kind, is called The Masquerade. And underneath the rules that this essential conspiracy operates are different factions vying for power. Most people are familiar with this uh, world and franchise as a result of the excellent Vampire the Masquerade's Bloodlines, which is considered by some to be the one of the best open-world RPGs of all time. And quite frankly, one of the best video games of all time. Swan Song, as I'll call it from here on out, is not an open-world RPG, but more along the lines of an RPG-styled adventure game with multiple outcomes. Think branching paths, stats that focus more on conversations, that kind of thing. In fact, it may be one of the best examples of that style of game I've ever played. Uh, I also haven't played several examples from that genre, so my opinion might be a little biased here. So let's start with the story. The setup is that you control three main characters. First up is Namem, a vampire club owner who has recently climbed the ranks and is looking to join the Vampire Council, partly to stick it to the vampire who made her. Her sections focus on diplomacy, negotiations, as well as coercion. You try and reassure various factions and round up support for your goals. Next, you have Laisha, a vampire with severe mental issues, a strange daughter, and recurring amnesia. She hails from a vampire clan known for prophetic abilities at the cost of mental instability. Basically, you see the future, but you go insane. Laisha is a particularly gifted with foresight, and so she's often used for her talents of stealth and deduction and using her visions to seek out the truth by the leaders of the, mas of the masquerade in Boston. Uh, her sections play more like Hitman, trying to use her cloaking ability and disguise power to sneak into areas she wouldn't normally be able to enter. Less of a stealth game. Imagine if you could only change outfits when it was safe, and you basically were, and you basically can only get caught by doing something really, really stupid. That's essentially Leisha. Finally, you have Galeb, an ancient vampire who is gifted with powerful persuasion abilities and dangerous in combat. He's trying to resist a strange feeling that has drawn the other elders across the sea and convinced the leader of Boston to allow him to turn his favorite human into a vampire. Loyal and deadly, Caleb uses intimidation, a focus on abilities to get into places. He also has occasional combat that requires rationing of abilities to succeed and also not reveal the masquerade. Most of his conversations take the form of one-on-one -on -one debates, requiring not just skills, but an understanding of the person and situation to pick the right answer. Now, these characters are introduced as being called to the HQ right before they were all supposed to leave for a party. They were actually all running a little late. That's why they're not there already. That party was supposed to celebrate an alliance between the Camarilla, the vampire faction they're all a part of, and a faction of blood mages. Instead, they find that someone at the party initiated a code red, which means shit's gone hit the fan, and the entire Camarilla is under lockdown, at least those who are left. 
The Prince Hazel Iverstead is preparing for a potential evacuation of Boston, and no one knows what happened. Hazel summons her trusted three, the main characters, who she trusts or at least is willing to use for different reasons. Hazel sends them all off on different assignments, first to find out what happened at the party and run damage control with the other factions. But as the scope grows larger and the true threats are revealed to be everywhere, both within and without, Hazel's paranoia grows and the characters must determine who, if anyone, they can trust and what they will do to survive. So to start the review off, the story is excellent. If that whole description wasn't, you know, a ring endorsement. It's a great setup full of mystery, no one knowing who to trust, everyone within, even within your own trusted factions looking at everyone else like they're about to stab each other in the back because they don't know what's going on. All they know is somebody called the party from the party. Now no one's answering. That person initiated a code red, which means we're all in immediate danger. Um, this is a tense tale of mysterious intrigue, betrayal, and supernatural monsters. The world comes to life around you. It's just fantastic. The atmosphere is probably one of this game's strongest strengths. Uh, in addition, this game is the first game I've ever played that makes conversations and important choices feel tense and engaging. By having major choices affect other characters that enter the same area, even choices that keep one character alive can doom another. So, a player can only choose to restart the entire level, which means no quick loading if you mess something up. This means when you talk to someone, you're engaged in that conversation. If you screw up, you're not restarting this level. It takes way too long to get back to this point. You're going to play it through. If you talk to a character, you better be damn ready for it. The skill choices give benefits to players who think ahead and an excellent replay value. On top of it all, the way you can survive most choices until the very end would seem to draw away tension, but failures leave their marks. Minor failures and even especially major ones can have devastating effects. Failing a major confrontation can leave you spiraling in the next chapter with fewer options, often leaving you with a handicap. And those handicaps make it a lot easier to fail the next challenge. You get this real sense of characters failing a mission and suffering unless they work really hard to recover from it. So, excellent character, story, and a conversation system that's actually really good at engaging the player. Guess this game must be perfect, right? Yeah, no, 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 no. No. While the world and story are excellent, the gameplay can drag a bit in the investigation sections, and some of the NPCs have really repetitive dialogue. In addition, while some puzzles can be partially completed or have multiple solutions, many have a very specific solution that reminds me of old adventure games. One puzzle in particular refused to let me use an ID number I found on a sheet, even though it was the right number and it was right there and I figured out the puzzle. So it was either bugged and just didn't flag it as me learning that information, or I was supposed to find the same number somewhere else. I think there was a safe I might have locked myself out of, or there might have been another way I might have been able to get it, but I couldn't go back there. So this made me have to use another method to complete that level, which resulted in one of my other characters dying later on. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, I can't just around anymore. The graphics are distractingly bad. Now, I can overlook graphics for the most part. I mean, I played Oblivion and recently started on Morrowind. Those things aren't exactly graphical powerhouses, especially when a facial animations and character conversations. I mean, the whole Oblivion Thousand Yard Stare is practically a meme at this point. All these years later, honestly, it's a dead meme. But at least those graphics stayed out of the way for the most part. Like, you weren't in dialogue 100% of the time in, in Oblivion. You got in dialogue, you got what you needed to do, and you went out to go do other stuff. Unfortunately, in this game, you spend over half your time talking with people, and the facial animations just... They look like something from, like, 2015, which is fine, but 
it's not well done from 2015. It's like middle of the road from 2015. It's just distracting. The backgrounds and environments can look amazing, but the characters just don't animate right. Very, very uh, uncanny valley. Just, it's it's painful because the conversations are one of the game's greatest strengths. And although I was eventually able to ignore it, every once in a while I would just start laughing when a tense conversation was capped by a character looking like they were hit by a horse tranquilizer. Uh, there's this moment where Amem makes a big old choice at the end of her storyline and decides to buckle down and do this stuff with Hazel. And she tells her, uh, you know, the vampire sire to just leave her alone. She's ignoring her vice. And it's supposed to be this very dramatic, you really, you won't even listen to me. I'm trying to do what's best for you moment. And the character just has this like pout on her face. It's just like, it's not this I've been hurt pout. It's somebody hit me pout. And it's just so distracting. All in all, though, I can forgive that for a good story. And genuinely, a game that seems to take its roots to heart. Vampire the Masquerades. Now, I don't play tabletop games. Let's interrupt this right here. I don't play them that much. I've only ever played a custom one via a friend of mine, but I have talked to people. I go to the card shop to go play Magic. I have several a friend who's very into tabletop gaming, at least when he has time for it. And I've learned about Vampire the Masquerades. And Vampire the Masquerades is, unlike D&D, not combat-focused, but dialogue-focused. And I feel like this game does a very good uh, method of essentially staying true to its roots. All your conversations, unless you have some, like intense point advantage are percentage rolls, and you actually have to roll. It's random. Um, now, you can leverage things to your advantage by using skill points or blood in order to guarantee a conversation pass, but there are also, like, false uh, positives. Like, you can use a skill that eats up two blood on some characters, and if you're not paying attention, didn't realize that character's like, has this fate that allows them to resist vampire powers or is holding onto a sacred relic or whatever, then you're not going to realize your ability is not going to work on them, and you just wasted blood, and that's a resource that's going to come back to bite you in the ass. So, in conclusion, despite some minor problems, Vampire the Masquerade Swan Song is still a very good game. The gameplay is different from Bloodlines, but it shines in a conversation-focused RPG, staying true to its tabletop roots. Not top of the pile, but one of the best choices matter adventure games I've ever played. In fact, I might rate it as the best of that genre that I've played, despite its problems. It succeeds in creating a rich story with great characters and actually delivers on the idea of the player facing consequences for their choices. 8 out of 10, check it out if you like this kind of game, or the World of Darkness franchise as a whole. If you're looking for something more action-based, you might want to wait for the Vampire and the Masquerade Bloodlines 2 that will be coming out either next year or sometime in the future, that date is very flimsy, so uh, look for that eventually. And don't play the Battle Royale one. Come on. It is like, weird, though, that I haven't heard a lot about this franchise in years, and suddenly we've gotten like three games back-to-back from it. What's more, I haven't seen people talking about Swan Song that much, which is really disappointing, because I think this is actually a good example of an adventure game. And we don't really see those anymore, not since like the Telltale era. And I think this, yes, this stands above the Telltale era, in my opinion, because it actually has engaging characters and they make the conversations matter. So, yeah. All right, everybody. If you, that's the main review. Eight out of ten is my final store. Uh, <laughs> well, did you like that? I, I basically did a full script for this one. I only got off it like two or three times. I wonder if you can figure out where that was. Uh, I added a little bit a few parts, but essentially yeah i have an actual script now look at me being more professional than just a handful of notes (laughs) anyway uh moving on from that because that was exhausting let's get into the spoiler talk okay first off though this is not the kind of game you want spoilers for people this is a heavily 
story-based game. There's not a lot of uh, gameplay here aside from deducing things and figuring things out. And you're going to want to go into this one blind if you can. Now, the details I provide in the description are very bare bone. You're going to learn most of that stuff within like the first mission. So I don't feel like I've really screwed anything over. But if you listen to me go all spoiler, you will learn who is responsible for the initial event. You'll learn a lot of the details about the characters before they uncover them. It will spoil some plot points. It will even spoil the final sections of each of the main characters. So if you don't want to hear that stuff and you want to be genuinely surprised because this game actually does have some cool twists, you know, turn around, go play the game, and come back when you're done with it. Seriously, this video is always waiting for you. Or video or podcast. It's going to be on YouTube. It's going to be on my podcast sites. Check it on both. All right. Everyone gone who doesn't want spoilers? Cool. Okay. Where to start? So, we've got three different main characters here. And I really just loved that. Uh, now, when I first started up, I was like, okay, we're going to choose one. It's like, oh, no, we're not. So, we're each going to do some stuff. So, I did some stuff with a mem. You know, went around talking to people. She's sort of like the default character. She's the bo- on the box art. She's sort of the femme fatale, generally good with abilities. She has the blink ability. She has the, uh, you know, she's the one you'll probably set up as an all-rounder character because she gets a lot of intimidation. She got persuasion checks. She uses her vampire power. She uses science and security. She uses kind of all the skills in equal measure. You're going to want her to be a bit of everything. In addition, Amem was actually the one character I managed to keep alive through all this. So I would say she's probably the easiest on average. Or at least has the least amount of potential to screw yourself up royally. Now, it doesn't mean you can't ruin things, because I kind of ruined her relationship without even meaning to, and then destroyed her mentally. Uh, so she's damaged, even if she survived. And judging from all the failures from my other things, I don't think she actually survived in the long term. So, <laughs> my success is extreme air quotes. This is definitely the kind of game where you get bad endings the first time through, unless you're, like, really good. I was not really good. <laughs> Uh, fully explore all areas before leaving. Like, basic rule of adventure games, but, you know, I'm a moron. <laughs> anyway, Amem is essentially a really old vampire. Uh, there are hints that she was actually Morgana, or Morgan Le Fay, as in the, you know, sorceress who screwed with King Arthur. So, she was related to that. She has a tragic past, and she was turned to a vampire by her sire, which is a vampire word for the vampire who made you. There's sire and ch- child. That's the whole relationship for turning vampires. And basically, she's grown a bit more independent. She's grown distant from her sire. And as a result, she's become, started trying to, you know, rise the ranks. Now, recently, Amem has sort of gotten herself to, like, not the top of vampire society, but she's, like, a well-known figure. She runs a lot of the clubs, and she has relations with some of the smaller factions. So she acts as an, an in-between for Hazel during emergencies. Which gives her a bit more leverage. And Hazel likes her because her current counsel, the primogen, who's supposed to keep her, uh, the prince's power in check, have been slowly growing distant from her. Uh, they say it's because she's growing paranoid, but she, while she is growing paranoid, she's kind of right in a lot of senses because some of them are definitely working against her and betraying her. But, you know, it's a giant cadre of vampire clans, so of course they're all backstabbing each other. Uh, fun fact, the answer of who to trust in this game is... No one aside from the main characters. They're actually pretty trustworthy on the most part, depending on how you play them. But aside from them, oof, nope. Everyone else is like all caught up in the scheming. 
Now, Amem does want a good position. In fact, she wants a seat on the Primogen. And Hazel, when she calls her in after the Code Red is determined, and, and uh, you know, Amem just wants to run or just stay here and run her stuff. She doesn't want anything to change. Hazel says, if you act as my diplomat, go to all these different factions, assure them everything's going well, start with the Blood Mages. We need to assure them we had nothing to do with that massacre. Um, and I will offer you a seat on the Primogen. In fact, it will be your sire's seat, which is which she learns later on, which is sort of a giant middle finger to her sire from both Hazel and Amem, uh, who she's already on bad terms with. It's implied they used to date, and then uh, the two of them drifted apart, so now Amem's with another girl, woman, and her sire's a little bitter about that, but still cares about her, sort of. It's a complicated relationship, which only gets more complicated when you go to the Blood Mages and end up with your, possibly losing some memories. Uh, basically, you go into a prison and you lose key memories of your life as a part of the way for the prison to slowly drive people insane. Uh, there's a counterspell the Blood Mages used to go down there. Eventually, she tries to escape, but you're supposed to find all your memories before you leave. Although it's not really clear, you get hints about it if you read some of the documents. But I thought I had found everything, but I didn't. And I ended up losing a decent chunk of the last three years, though not any recent events. Uh, and the Blood Mages are like, sorry, ma'am. Once you, once you leave, uh, you kind of lost it. We can't really get those back. Even after I pacified them and, and gave them some territory so they wouldn't go to war with Hazel, they essentially were like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> that won't do. So yeah, Amem did manage to stabilize relationship with the Blood Mages. She offered them, despite failing and not getting enough dialogue to just, you know, convince them we had nothing to do with this. This is, our original deal still stands. She has to give them something else. So on Hazel's behalf, which she might not have had the authority to, but Hazel seems happy enough just to have the blood inches off her uh, back, Amem offers them a neighborhood in Boston, essentially ceding territory to them. Uh, meanwhile, Liesha goes to the party house and uh, finds a bunch of FBI agents and the work of what it was clearly vampire hunters. Meanwhile, Caleb goes to the apartment of the person who called the Code Red, who might have gotten away. Uh, they arrive to find somebody decapitated. He arrives to find someone decapitated in the, uh, you know, lobby room, who's believed to be the corpse of their contact, specifically their accountant, who fled. And yeah, there are a lot of vampires dead, and they might not recover from this. Also, there are vampire hunters, specifically the Second Inquisition and uh, the Brotherhood of St. Leopold, who are invaded Boston or op working on Operation Swan Song to bring down the vampire activities in this area. Dressing up with F fake FBI badges and a giant compound on the, on the island offshore, they're a big threat. And as we learn more and more about them, we learn about their leader, who's essentially running this whole thing. So in the World of Darkness world... Uh, universe, there are essentially humans who, if they have this undying faith, not to like the Bible or anything, to, like just faith in general. You don't even have to be faithful to a religion. You just have to have unerring faith. Uh, you're granted certain abilities against demonic creatures like vampires or werewolves or whatever, and you can sort of repel them with your words or your, and even like shield yourself from them and their abilities. And the leader is like one of these like extremely faithful, devout people who can resist most vampire powers and attacks both Liesha and Caleb on multiple occasions. Uh, he's really dangerous, and his men, the uh, people of St. Leopold, have a lot of anti-vampire security measures that you have to get through, either using uh, Liesha's disguises or Caleb's ability to mimic human power so to make himself look alive so the implants they have as sort of security badges work. 
Actually, it's a really smart system they have too. One of the things they do is that they have these all these new implants, which are constantly on the fritz, but they only work properly when they're inside living flesh, and vampires are still technically dead, so it won't work for them. So even if a vampire rips it out, unless they're a really powerful elder like Caleb, they can't make it work. And Caleb constantly has trouble making it work for long periods of time. It constantly like deactivates on him in really bad moments. He has to bring himself back to a sort of pale. It basically it costs him as much to stop to keep his blood flowing as it would cost for us to stop ours. Uh, so it's really draining on him. All in all, it's a really cool plot. I like the enemies. I think they're very threatening. Also, I like the fact that the Society of St. Leopold and the Vampire Hunters aren't like single-minded. They have, like, character, and they mourn their own. And not all of them are full-on vampire genocide. Some of them just want to understand and potentially make peace with the world. Actually, one of my better decisions in the game, one of the ones I, one of the only ones I think might have led to long-term stability in the world, and I like that you get to decide that uh, with some choices, is basically you go to the three head members of St. Leopold. You got the engineer got woman who's just making lots of weapons to kill all the vampires. You got the scientist who's interested in us biologically. Uh, and is even working on ways to use our organs as vampire organs in order to create uh, better soldiers and even cure diseases. Uh, she's interested us as specimens. She doesn't really need us alive. They're pr- perfectly willing to work with mummified version. They've managed to salvage. So she doesn't really see us as people. She more sees us as an interesting phenomenon that should be studied and used to the benefit of mankind, not us. We're parasites. But she is interested in us. And then we have the last person. He's essentially this very uh, scholarly history guy. And when he's the person we're easily able to access when we get to the main facility in order to get a high-level implant. Now, you have an option of killing him. But when you manage to lure him out into a small room, basically he's working on um, re- like essentially repairing a really old tome and restoring it. And if you ask for that tome, if you figure out what the ID number for the tome he's restoring is and enter it into the request, he'll come out because he's like, okay, why do you want the book? And then he just takes one look and he's like, my faith isn't as strong as it used to be. I'm not so sure what we're doing anymore, but I understand exactly what you are. I can see you from a mile away. But he doesn't yell. I mean, he's standing in the room with Caleb, who's an elder vampire. He's scary as hell. But Caleb doesn't have to do anything. He's like, no, actually, this is perfect. I've been wanting to talk to someone like you for a long time, Caleb. And he has a genuinely meaningful conversation where we have to convince him that giving us the ability to stop St. Leopold and to kill the head uh, of their organization or to stop this operation is for the best for both humans and vampires. We even have, we even have to answer some of his questions on vampires uh, in general and the curse of Cain and all this other stuff. And it's just genuinely interesting perspective. We not don't, don't like still do dialogue options stuff like that, but the conversation itself is more of a philosophical one of can vampires and humans live in peace? And Galo points out that most of the Camarilla was particularly focused on not killing humans. They have several humans they hire as essentially uh, vintages and uh, blood blood bags, essentially. They're basically servants that walk around the bars and will offer their neck to any vampire who wants it. But the bars is, are very, very anti-killing. They do not like killing. It's against the rules of masquerade because it leads bodies. Um, and Galo points out that the Camarilla is one of the more peaceful organizations that he's essentially doing what the, second, the first Inquisition did, targeting people and burning them alive, which doesn't really suit like some of them were murderers but most vampires nowadays just you know 
drink what blood they need to survive, and it's easier to get blood out of still living vessels, so why would you kill them? Which is genuinely interesting. I like that. And I like there's a member of this organization, the Second Inquisition, that thinks they're going about things wrong. The guy there genuinely wants to understand werewolves and vampires and come to a mutual understanding between them and humans. Like, you know, maybe we provide them with blood, the same way you get uh, blood donations for, like, the Red Cross and stuff like that. And in exchange, they maybe could help us. Maybe their supernatural abilities could use to find murder victims. I mean, Leisha in particular would make an excellent investigator. That's essentially her job during this. And Caleb has all kinds of useful knowledge that humanity can benefit from. He essentially sees the current state of affairs as particularly dangerous, which under, which makes it very understandable as to why his faith has been shaken, because he understands we're not just mindless monsters. Um, which I actually really like. I like a human who basically essentially sees the big picture, and you're given a choice after talking to him to either kill him and take his implant, or he tells you how to get to the scientist, who even he's a little creeped out by the way she's using a bunch of dead people to implant to other dead people to give them superpowers, which is a little creepy, especially since they murdered all those people. Um, and I let him live. And later when I met him again, while he was raiding the leader's uh, office for some ancient text so he could go off and found his own organization, I let him leave again. You know why? Because I think having someone like him actively trying to foster cooperative understanding between, you know, the vampires, the werewolves, and the churches would be beneficial to vampire society as a whole. He's basically essentially what we want in the end goal. Um, and... I like that you're able to make choices like that. You're able to decide, is this good a good decision for the world itself? And it makes a lot of sense that Galeb is the one making that decision. Amem is essentially a social ladder climber, and Leisha is off her rocker half the time. So Galeb is sort of the elder vampire who's been around a long time and, you know, is in a position to make these kind of decisions. So it fits the character. It's a good plot line. I like it. And it comes back later on. He gives you information, even. So there are rewards to be merciful, but killing him immediately is more expedient and could even have saved you points that you might have needed to survive the confrontation later on. So there is a cost to living and live, but there is also a larger benefit outside the scope of the game, which is really cool. Sorry, I just really like that plot line that went on for a bit. Uh, Galeb's is pretty cool. Uh, he eventually got killed, uh, basically, pre he got, basically got, uh, preached to death by the leader of St. Leopold when I finally confronted him. Didn't end well. Didn't end well. Uh, <laughs> and then we have Laisha, who got her throat ripped out by a werewolf that Galeb unleashed in order to break out of prison. Oh, God, when one of your choices comes back around to literally bite your other characters. Oh, no. <laughs> so, Laisha is also a very interesting storyline. Uh, she's essentially a part of a clan of vampires called the, uh, Makuvels, I believe. Let me see. Look it up. So she's from the Malkov clan. And basically, they're a clan of vampires who were descended from an elder, and their abilities are based around perception and invisibility, essentially like the spies and stealth and oracles of the vampire world. Now, the future abilities can cause mental instability, but uh, they, in addition to that, grow. It basically, the more the more you can see, the better you can see it, and the more often you can have vision, essentially the better your profit abilities are, the more unstable your head is, and Leisha is considered one of the most gifted prophets the clan has ever created. Which means she's also off her freaking rocker. And, uh, <laughs> it comes across, yeah. She has huge memory problems. People regularly talk to her like, oh, you lost your memory again. Like, it's just a regular thing. 
She's literally seen them like four times and each time she hasn't remembered them. Uh, she has to like go into therapy and be put to sleep for long periods of time just so she doesn't go completely insane. Her treatments take forever and she's constantly being reminded she needs to go back to the uh, hospital and not be out here trying to solve Hazel's problems. Uh, in addition, she also has a daughter who follows her around and no one sees and you already know where this is going. The daughter isn't real. Except, twist on an old twist, the daughter is real. She's just not with you for most of the game. So, turns out, Laisha and her daughter were taken by a vampire because they were test subjects for one of his blood experiments. However, uh, he also rescued them from the uh, French Revolution. However, on the journey, uh, her daughter grew sick and then died, and she was very, very distraught about it. So, before, before she left permanently, the doctor used his blood and his vampire abilities to essentially turn her, which saved her life, sort of. But her daughter turned out to be very unstable when she first manifested and ended up nearly killing and then turning Laisha by accident. So she's essentially the sire. She's essentially a child. Her sire essentially made her, uh, her daughter made, was her sire and the mother was the child, which is an interesting thing that comes up in a riddle, which foreshadows this earlier on in the game, which I really like. Again, it's just good writing. Um, and there's this really interesting dynamic, too, between them. Especially, like, once you realize that she's not entirely illusion. Because there's this moment where, like, basically, whenever Laisha goes out, she has this rule, like, Okay, da- darling, I need you to stay with me. But, you remember our rule, you turn invisible. And one of her abilities is to turn invisible. So, for a long time, you think, oh, they're just turning invisible. They're little oddities. Like, Laisha will just talk to her and no one else seems to notice when the child, when a voice echoes out of thin air. That little things like that, they're like, uh, it's just a video game. It's sort of like how The Last of Us, they don't see Ellie uh, trailing behind you when you're playing as Joel. But no, she's not actually there. It's eventually revealed that she's a delusion brought upon by her by Laisha's uh, growingly fragmented mental state and using her profit abilities, which I only saw one uh, thing for because I ended up taking some medicine to stop them, make it grow worse. Now, I chose to take the medicine and make the vision stop. Hazel got really mad about that. My therapist told me it was the right choice. That was before I realized he'd been experimenting on us and a lot of other stuff that made me question his morals. But he's a vampire, so, you know. (laughs) Morals are already kind of a lost cause there. Anyway, uh, once you get down to his secret laboratory, though, during one of the raids by the vampire hunters, you end up finding Hazel's cell. And she bursts out of it, only to be caught by a vampire hunter. Uh, and then you need to go rescue her, essentially. Hey, uh, Hazel sends you on a mission to, re- to do something else to sabotage the vampire hunters. That's sort of the final level. Galeb is sent in to disable some of their security and cause a ruckus while killing the leader of St. Leopold's to take down their infrastructure. Laisha is supposed to essentially cause a lot more internal damage, and Amem is supposed to upload a virus into their mainframe, which will hack them and destroy all the information they hold on the vampires. Now, I just successfully destroyed all the information they hold on the vampires, and I wounded them enough in the other two plot lines to make sure that they were going to have to give up their operations for the time being. But in when I was trying to get out of the prison that Galo got stuck in, uh, I had to let a werewolf out because that was the level with the bug. Or maybe just I couldn't figure out where to go, or maybe I actually let myself out of. It's very unclear. And in doing so, uh, I had to let that werewolf out, which ended up killing Laisha during a out of nowhere stealth section. That was 
I didn't know where it was trying to get me to go. It was very confusing and jarring, and there weren't really any other stealth sections quite like that throughout the rest of the game. Like, all the other stealth sections were mostly just trying to memorize patterns so you don't get too close to people who might see through your invisibility. That was it. Uh, but this was just eh, a little out of nowhere. Leisha probably had one of the worst boss fights, because the other two really make a lot of sense. Uh, Gayloba has to do a tense boss fight with the leader of St. Leopold, and it's focused on intimidations. They have a lot of vampire power uh, options, but all those options will immediately fail, so you have to use rationality to take down his faith, including information you were supposed to have found. But if you didn't find all the information, and you're weakened, because you haven't been doing well, you're going to fail and get prayed to death. Meanwhile, Amim had one of the best final levels I've ever seen for this type of game. In fact, all games that feel like they need to end in a boss fight... There are other ways to do boss fights, and I finally get to talk about this, because this might be one of the best things I have to say about this game. Amem's final level. So Amem is going into the mainframe to upload a virus. Uh, she tries to upload to one of the computers, but it doesn't work. They've locked down their servers because they're worried about vampire infiltrators, because Galeb's already been caught at this point. So, Amem has to get into the server room. She has to activate the servers using her blink ability to mimic the fact that two people are on opposite sides of the room. She manages to do it and raise the mainframe. She goes to access it, but it's locked. She can't get to, she can't upload a file. She can't access any of the external drives, meaning the USB she plugged in can't do anything yet. She can't run it. So she has to unlock it, which means she has to figure out what the password is using the limited access she has available. As you start to do this, you hear people trying to break into the room and you suddenly realize you're on a clock. So you manage to, you manage to do a bit of search about the password and you find out that it's the date they managed to, they reset the password recently to the date of the organization's founding. However, none of the files you have access to tell you directly when the organization was founded. And you have a certain number of words you can search, like keywords. When you find new keywords, they're added. Most keywords result in hundreds of results, which means you have to search between two or three keywords, which narrow down your results, but also means you're only finding a few things. You have to read the documents, figure out where it goes, and after a little while, you manage to get enough keywords to piece together a different document that talks about how they're celebrating their four-year anniversary, and that means you find the password. And it's this really tense, essentially high-stakes Google searching, which was just wonderful. Like, it was this really engaging piece of gameplay that came... Almost out of nowhere, but it's based around M.M.'s problem-solving and her deducting reasoning and trying to figure things out. And it's essentially testing the skills you've been learning throughout this entire game. You know, asking people the right words, figuring out what they want, figuring out how they think, figuring out information without being directly given it. And it was this wonderful sense of, why can't more hacking in video games be like this? This was interesting. It reminded me of Hypnospace, where you have to find violations and stuff like that, but you can't just search for the violations. You'll get one or two hits, but you won't get the full task. You've got to think. You've got to read the pages. You've got to go based on those pages to other pages, and then based on those pages to pages, and then more pages, and then more pages. And at, like, five five links down the line, you might find something that will redirect you somewhere back to one of the pages up on the line, and then you could find where the infraction is. And it was things like that, this deductive, almost like, I think a friend of mine, uh, my friend Frederick, talked about this and he described it almost as like UI based gameplay where you're the main gameplay is navigating a UI and that's what this felt like it felt like this very interesting problem solving and oh my god it was perfectly suited to a mem and I was really frustrated because at this point I had already done Galeb and I'd already done Leisha's final levels which means I did a mem's last 
And it was the best one. It was heavily based on the gameplay that came before. It required you to remember information from previous levels in order to make things easier. You needed basic deductive reason skills. It was essentially accumulation of everything you had done in the game so far. And it worked extremely well, even though this style of gameplay had never really come up. And even figuring out passwords had only come up once or twice. And guess what? I really liked it. It was a... I, it makes me frustrated because gay love is a very tense conversation. A man is this nice hacking that requires deductive reasoning to figure out the right password in order to upload your file. But Liesha is just a stealth section, and I don't feel like there was enough stealth gameplay in this game. Now, maybe Liesha's final level is different if you don't unleash the werewolf. Again, I did kind of screw her over right that, so don't take that as 100%, but it also is a due to that bug or due to the problems or due to the way you can lock yourself out of the other solution. It is what most people are going to end up doing, especially since they really telegraphed the werewolf in earlier levels. So, still, I really like this. I like that games are figuring out better ways to have a final boss fight. A boss fight should be accumulation of everything up to that point. It should be based on the skills you've been trained in. And I'm happy to see a game that can do something other than a generic fight as a boss fight. I'm happy to see a conversation-based game stick to its guns and have really tense, difficult conversations, problem-solvings and puzzles as its final solutions. Because it just makes me so proud of the way video games have come. Ten years ago, if a video game had had a game like this, the final battle would have been some sort of like stealth assassination mission for Laetitia. It would have been like an actual quick-time-of-it fight for Galeb. And... Uh, a mem would have probably just like run through a place trying to avoid people. Like they would have just completely changed it in the final bit. But this one stuck to its guns and it managed to do it right. This is how you do these kind of games. And I'm very happy with Vampire the Masquerade Swan Song. I think it is, for all its faults in graphics, for all its problems and being a little slow paced and the game kind of dragging during some of the, you know, looking for clues sections. It sticks to what it's good at, and it seems to almost be an example of how fun these kind of tabletop games can be in digital form. And you know what? That's enough. So yeah, that was my uh, long rant about how I really, really like this game despite its problems. I hope you guys like this. I'm really trying to make these videos more professional. I've been a little disappointed with some of the quality of my last few uploads, so I hope this has kind of like smoothed things out for you guys. Uh, I'm looking forward to doing more stuff like this, and I'm going to try and get myself proper scripts and really focused on making at least the review sections very professional in the future uh, <laughs> to give you a bit more quality while still giving you that uh, Davis, the dragonish charm I'm known for. So, um, I will not be streaming for this week. If you're watching this on YouTube, that means last week I wasn't streaming from the 13th. I'm not going to be streaming on the 14th or the 16th. I will be trying to stream again on the 21st. I will let you know on the 16th on my podcast what I will be doing then. For that's for the future. Uh, next Thursday, this or not Thursday, this Friday, I will be reviewing Bob's Burgers, that new movie that came out. Now, I'm a huge Bob Burgers fan, but, you know, it was out, and I do want to give it some attention. So, even though I don't have a lot to say on it, that will be coming out soon. I've got a new book coming up that I've been reading. Uh, it's also about shadow magic, apparently. So that's a night coinc nice coincidence. I almost said night coincidence. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Things are looking up. Things are looking fun. See you guys next time.
Bye. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode, and thank you for listening to The Dragon's Library. Please, subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes. The Dragon's Library releases new episodes Tuesday and Friday each week, and you can follow us on Twitter at dragon underscore library 2. If you want to suggest an episode topic, my email is in the description below. And as always, thank you so much for all your support.